Welcome back to the Tarsans Diplomat, and thanks for downloading episode 9. If you've been enjoying the podcast, please tell a friend. Many thanks to those of you who read ahead in the book and left those kind reviews on Amazon.ca. And now, on to episode 9, read by Keith. Today, it's a bomb threat that ruins McGregor's day. The Tarsans Diplomat, Chapter 10, Bomb Threat My alleged assistant, Lucille, appeared in the doorway of my office. She jerked her thumb over her shoulder in the direction of the boardroom. You're late for your own meeting, can-do leader, she said, in much the same tone as she would have said, get the fuck on the bus, to the Hull hockey team back in the day. I ignored Lucille's insolence. It would have been nice to have service with a smile, but I am too experienced a diplomat to start a conflict where the power balance is as one-sided as it is between a foreign service officer and his assistant. My expense claims would end up in the shredder, and my messages would be garbled with extreme prejudice. I picked up one of the boxes of Belgian chocolates that Fanshawe had left hidden around the office and offered her one. She stepped forward and took three. I adjusted my bow tie, grabbed my notebook and blazer, and walked purposefully to the boardroom. I wasn't looking forward to it, since the ambassador was reading a book about inspirational leadership and wanted to kick off the meeting for me. Beto and Hravinsky were huddled by the boardroom door, muttering into their cell phones about the leak appearing in the newspapers back home that morning. They kept putting their hands over their mouthpieces and conferring in hushed tones. Presumably they were talking about snuffing out careers and transferring people to the culture division. I steeled myself to enter the boardroom. Inside, I could hear the clamor of unsupervised trade commissioners. Moraturite salutamus, I said to Beto as I passed and walked in. I turned to close the door and saw Hravinsky put his hand over his cell phone. Beto, that guy was wearing a bow tie and speaking Latin. Ravinsky had an annoying habit of talking about people as if they weren't there. You owe me five bucks. Beto appeared annoyed and reached for his wallet. The gladiators used to say it. It means, we who are about to die salute you. Ravinsky looked surprised that Beto knew Latin. I've noticed that Beto often doesn't mention that he did classics at Queen's and Cambridge. Once, after he left the department to work in the Privy Council office, he seemed annoyed when I told the parliamentary secretary that his paper was on Emperor Augustus' mass executions of recalcitrant senators. Glostrom appeared and strode energetically into the boardroom like it was an election meeting and the trade commissioners were wavering swing voters. Each received the handshake with the full bicep squeeze and a few questions about the wife and hockey team. Cornelia got some small talk about her apartment. Glostrom sat down and began the meeting. As you know, this mission is a key personal priority of the Prime Minister he said gravely, forgetting himself for a moment and looking up to stare meaningfully into the non-existent TV camera. Canada's relationship with Europe is central to our foreign and trade policy. Unfortunately, we have to remind the Europeans that this relationship works both ways. Simply put, between these four walls, they can't have our troops to police their Eastern European trouble spots and sell us their wine and fancy underwear and block our economic growth in return. We must demand they adhere to the trade rules they have solemnly agreed to. They cannot be allowed to ignore the science that shows our genetically modified canola is safe. They can't hide behind decades-old scandal stories about old asbestos. They can't hide in old-growth forests that have grown back from sustainable logging. They can't hide from our innovative oil sands technologies. Glostrom was losing his thread, but the audience was responding well. As I was saying, he went on, this can-do Canada mission is critically important. Ambassador, interrupted Beto from the doorway. The minister is on the line. Glostrom stood up so rapidly his chair fell away behind him with a thud. Should we put the minister on the speakerphone? He can validate our assumptions and we can get his input so we can iterate the plan for Can Do Canada, said Cornelia. 
looking at the still spinning wheels of the ambassador's swivel chair. Glostrom's stirring words had worked her into a Nuremberg-esque frenzy of enthusiasm. No, Cynthia, replied Beto as he disappeared. Cornelia looked puzzled. At least they won't be able to post her to Buffalo if they can't remember her name, I thought to myself. The trade commissioners looked nonplussed. I returned to my usual business-like meeting manner. Thanks to our ambassador for that. I know we wanted to say more, but something less important came up. I turned to my trade commissioners. Anything to add to the agenda, I asked? We have to talk about Stumpy, exclaimed one of them. Who's Stumpy, I asked. Stumpy's not a who, it's an it, said the other. It's all Ian Culloden's fault, muttered the first trade commissioner. I carefully wrote Stumpy on the agenda. Okay, I said. Just tell the story in your own words. It's a technique judges use on small children. Culloden is the leader of the Green Alliance, said one of the trade commissioners. He got someone in Canada, Cornelia's cousin, actually, an eco-freak in Vancouver, interrupted the other trade commissioner bitterly. Both looked at Cornelia like people used to look at that officer on the old Soviet desk whose great aunt turned out to be the secretary general of the Prince Edward Island Communist Party, militant Trotskyite faction. I haven't seen her since I was 12, said Cornelia defensively. Anyway, continued one of the trade commissioners, Cornelia's extremist greenie cousin and Culloden came up with a scheme. They shipped a giant 4,000-pound Douglas fir stump from Vancouver Island. They say it's the great mothering tree of some First Nation you can't pronounce. The Green Alliance drives it all over Europe with signs in 11 languages saying Canada killed the great mothering tree. They raise millions of dollars with it and then show these horrifying ads of Canadian lumberjacks and dead animals. We got bags of postcards during their last campaign. Just wait until they cover Stumpy with genetically modified asbestos and radioactive canola oil and park it in front of the mission for a few months, wailed the other trade commissioner. They'll camp out and shit in our flower bed and spray us with fake seal blood when we go to work. I regarded my trade commissioners with alarm. One of them was actually gnashing his teeth. The other was equally upset. And Culloden is out to get us, he exclaimed. Who? You? I was trying to follow the plot. No, Canada, the whole country, said one trade commissioner. He's a bastard. He'd do anything. Stumpy was just the beginning, interjected the other. He killed us on hormone beef imports. And that photo of birds drowning in tar sands. And he named us climate villain number three at the United Nations climate change meeting. Wait, 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 I said. Let's start at the beginning. Who is Ian Culloden? Cornelia stepped in. Ian Culloden is the super charismatic upper class English environmentalist who leads the Green Alliance. He's top right matrix in terms of marketing impact. He's 100% organic, vegetarian, and lives in a carbon-neutral house with grass on the roof. She described how his face and the Green Alliance logo seem to be on every TV news cycle. It's really all about the fundraising, complained one of the trade commissioners. He picks whichever cute animal looks best on TV and then advertises the hell out of it. And he's such a hypocrite, said the other. All these greenies chaining themselves naked to Canadian lumber shipments to save some owl. They don't even care that their leader is some ex-special air service wacko who spent most of his life blowing things up in Iraq or Afghanistan. Yeah, how environmentally sustainable is it to fly around Central Asia in black helicopters and blast anything that moves after dark? Or calling in that airstrike on that village wedding? Oh dear, I said. Now I knew who they were talking about. I recalled the story from a friend who served in Kandahar. The incident had never been confirmed publicly, but was sufficiently blood-curdling, even by Afghan standards that it quickly made the rounds. Apparently, Culloden was leading some kind of special forces team near an Afghan village when automatic weapons fire opened up. Thinking he was under fire, he called in the Air Force, who duly obliterated the village. Apparently, it was those American Hercules aircraft with so many machine guns sticking at the bottom they looked like pincushions. The number of bullets per square foot they can spray on a target is truly fearsome. Unfortunately, the target turned out not to be the Taliban. Instead, it was a village wedding, 
where the menfolk were shooting their guns in the air to celebrate. There were dozens of civilian casualties, including the bride and groom. But what was an ex-SAS officer doing in Brussels? You say he's a green activist now? I asked. Not just a green activist, a green rock star, said one of the trade commissioners. Not just a green rock star, he's human bloody being of the year. After he left the army, he volunteered in the slums of Kabul, then went green, said another. He wrote a book and was on all the British chat shows, said Cornelia. He's unbelievably articulate. Cornelia means he's good looking, said the first trade commissioner. Women love him. She even went to see his talk in Brussels, paid five euros to see him live, replied the other reproachfully. He's an interesting speaker, retorted Cornelia. I didn't know he was going to target Canada. My task force was working itself into a frenzy. I raised my hand in an attempt to restore order, but before I could speak, I saw Lucille run past the door on her heels. She was carrying her coat and purse. She skittered to a stop as if a thought had just occurred to her. I just got a bomb threat, she panted. From the Green Alliance. You should probably get out. While you can. She ran off down the hall towards the elevator. Meeting temporarily adjourned, I said. But the trade commissioners were already gone. That concludes episode 9 of the Tarzan's Diplomat. Thanks for listening. Check iTunes next week for episode 10. And if you're enjoying the story, please tell a friend or leave a review on Amazon.ca.